Alrighty, good morning to you guys here. Would you guys stand with me for the scripture reading? My name is Dan. I am over the AV Tech team here. And today we'll be reading from Luke 2, 8 through 20. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go, let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning this child. And all they, they that heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. Amen. Let's remain standing as we pray. Lord, we stand in awe of this story, the saints of God standing here 2,000 years after this took place. And Lord, we are in awe that you, the creator of all the world, the universe came to our space. You entered time as a little babe. And so, Lord, we thank you. Open, please, our hearts and our minds to understanding this story and receiving it. We pray this in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all of God's people shouted. Yeah. Ah, you did it this morning. All right, have a seat. This is a wonderful story in the Bible. It is the story that every year around this time, there's a little cartoon uh, that plays in a bunch of uh, different TV stations called Charlie Brown's Christmas. And Charlie Brown runs around this whole little show. Uh, everything turns into a disaster that he puts his hand to. And he finally throws his hands up in the air at the end of this little show and says, everything I do turns into a disaster. Isn't there anyone that knows what Christmas is all about? Any, isn't there anyone that can tell me anything? about Christmas and there's quiet and then the little boy do you remember which one Whoa, okay lioness with the blanket says sure Charlie Brown I can tell you what Christmas is all about another pause of silence he walks up and he says and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night and lo an angel of the Lord came upon them and appeared to them and they were sore afraid and the angel said to them do not be afraid and it's at that moment that some of you will notice that lioness drops his blanket. Have you ever noticed that? Look for it this Christmas. And every year, this story, I mean, think about it. It's a, it's a cartoon that kids watch, and the whole point of it is that this is what Christmas is all about. This is the reason for the season that Jesus has come to earth, and that he is called in this passage that is read in Charlie Brown. He is called the Christ. He is called the Lord. He is called Savior. 
Praise God for that. That's the reason why we read this passage in the King James Version. Thank you, Dan, for reading it. It's a hard translation to read, but it talks about these shepherds. So we're in this series of, of, the sh- of encountering Jesus, looking at different stories of different people encountering Jesus, and today we're going to look at these shepherds who encounter Jesus and the notion here. The thing that I want to say first, I have three points. The first point is this. God will use you. He will use me. He will use us. People, this is great news. This is wonderful news that even the shepherds get used by God. Who is a shepherd? I think a lot of us would probably raise their hands and say, oh, we have romanticized views of what a shepherd is, what a shepherd does. We have little Bo Peep in our minds and our imaginations of shepherds being these great people. But really, a shepherd in the first century in these old times was a nomad. A shepherd was sort of a bandit. A shepherd was a, a group of thieves, the, the people that, the, the kind of job you can get if you were running away from the law, the kind of job you can get in the first century if you had no background, no education, if you were living on the margins of society, you were probably a shepherd. One commentary said it this way, it said, the type of people were social outcasts. They had gone into that life and they had stayed there. These are the kind of people, these shepherds, that are the first to appear to Jesus. Think about that. If a great king is born and Jesus is the great king, amen? But if a king is born, earthly king, a king of a kingdom, Usually there's invitations that go out that have the velvet and the lace and the stamp and the wax and all this beautiful thing. They go out and in comes all these people to celebrate the birth, the arrival of a great king. But here we have seemingly nobody. Like the shepherds show up and it's just Jesus and Mary and, and, and Joseph, the, the dad. And, and what an interesting story that the shepherds are the first ones there. They are the ones used by God. These social outcasts, these people, people that probably had no other job that they could get. Here they were showing up because angels came and reported that the greatest thing ever had happened. Anybody ever meet a shepherd? I've told this story a lot years ago. Uh, a couple hands went up. Shepherds are pretty uh, interesting people. I, was, I had the wonderful privilege to, to go to Kathmandu, Nepal years ago with some buddies, me and two buddies. And w- our journey was going to take us from Kathmandu to Lhasa. Look it up on a, a map sometime. Kathmandu into Tibet, across the Himalayan mountains. And it reminded me of, uh, if you're familiar with Colorado, if you drive west on Highway 24, you go past Woodland Park, Florissant Divide, uh, and you get up onto Wilkerson Pass, and then you go down, you're driving to Hartzell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it's you're, the beautiful, you're in this big bowl, mountains are all around you. That's what Tibet Tibet reminded me of, although the mountains were double, triple in size, and it's just the bigness of our earth and the creation and the Himalayas, and we're in the middle of nowhere, and and there's not a house, as far as you can see, not a city, and the bus makes a stop, this like four-wheel drive bus thing, and it makes a stop. And like people get off, they're like, where in the world are you going? Like, this is a bus stop, like Grand Central Station, Tibet. And some people get on, and some of the people that got on were shepherds. And there was a seat next to me, so this guy gets on, sits next to me, and he just smelled like, like maybe never took a shower, like legitimately had been camping his whole life, and never, ever took a shower. Like, he just, it looked like he'd made his own clothes out of like a, a, a sheep, and the wool, he spun it right there. Just a rough, rough looking guy. 
he sits next to me and I say hello and he just looks at me, had never heard an English word before, I assume, and I only knew one uh, phrase in Tibetan, which was hello, so I said Tashidelik and he said Tashidelik and they're like, great, now we got four hours, five hours of driving to do for the rest of this day, great. And I remember I had some candy in my pocket, so I went in my pocket, pulled out a piece of candy, I ate one, I gave him one, he smiled real big, I wondered like, is this maybe the first piece of candy you've ever had? Have you heard about candy? And I mean, this is the type of guy we're talking about. And so he, he took the candy, he's like, wow, he's, he's, yeah, he's, you know, he's making noises and smiling. And uh, then he returns the favor. You know, I gave him something, he's gonna give me something. So he reaches into this pockets of his pants of, of something that he had probably made, and he pulls out a little string, and on it were like little uh, white things. And I was like, what is this? He, he pulls it out, and it's balls of cheese that have been in his pocket on a string. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he goes to pull one off the string to give it to me, but it's kind of stuck, so he puts it in his mouth, and he's like pulling it with his teeth. He gets it off, puts it in his hand, and he kind of wipes it off, and he gives it to me. And I'm just looking at this thing, and if you've ever been on a mission trip, one of the rules, there's lots of rules, and hopefully we're in talks right now about uh, New Life Manitou going on a mission trip. The details are to, are to be announced and to be figured out, honestly. But if you ever go on a mission trip, one of the rules, one of the many rules is that if someone gives you food, you yes. eat it. How many of you would eat this thing? <laughs> Only a, a five, this is horrible. You're given piece of food, you eat the food. Like, I don't, it's been in his mouth, it's been in his pocket. I'm not sure which is worse. But I took the food, because that's what you're supposed to do. I took it, and I ate it, and I smiled, and it was delicious. And that image, like, that's a shepherd. Like, we have these little Bo Peep ideas of what a shepherd is. Think about that guy. Like, these are rough dudes and dudettes living with the sheep. Uh, I assume there's some dudettes. Are there girls? Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, I don't know. The first century, I wasn't around. But these, these angels, these heavenly hosts of angels. You know what a heavenly host is? Host means an army, yeah. An army of angels appears before these ragtag bandits. It says the greatest news in the whole world has happened. Imagine, I think in our society that the, the image of a shepherd is hard to understand. I think about maybe uh, a group, I was reading in the Gazette, the, our newspaper for Colorado Springs this week, and said that uh, there's a homeless camp that's now the biggest homeless camp, supposedly in the history of Colorado Springs, on the corner of Fountain in Las, uh, Las Vegas, uh, South Central Colorado Springs. And I think about like the, the camp that is there, these are people um, that, that the Lord would honor. But society says, oh, these are the people on the margins. These are people that have the, the society has pushed away. And there's lots of reasons why individuals would live at a camp like that. There's addiction and uh, there's mental health and there's all sorts of reasons. But imagine a group of angels announcing the greatest thing on earth that has ever happened. God coming to earth to this camp, like angels appear amidst the, the trash and the makeshift bathrooms and the liquor bottles and whatever drug paraphernalia is there, just angels of the Lord appearing to this group of people in Colorado Springs or appearing, as it turns out, to these shepherds who were the kind of nobodies, the marginalized people. And the angel says, the best news in the world has happened. You get to be the first ones to go and to see what the Lord has done. And they go. And I think the Lord uses, like we talked about this last week, the Lord uses the whomsoever's. The Lord uses the least of these. Don't ever think, we as Christians, 
Christians, we should never think, oh, the Lord has chosen us, we get to look down on other people. No, 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 the Lord chooses the weak to shame the strong. Here's the verse that Paul says, 1 Corinthians 1, 27, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the strong. This is what our Lord does. He lifts people up. The implication here is the Lord will use us. These shepherds arguably get to be the first evangelist. They get to see Jesus as the first group of people. They get to see God on earth before anybody else, and they get to go out and announce that they are arguably the first evangelists. They have it They have the message in them and they're able to share it. Think about this in your own life. Like you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to know all the answers to everybody's questions. You don't have to live a sinless life to be used by God. You just have to be somewhat willing and the Lord will surprise you and the Lord will use us. Be ready for that this season. Point two is this, it's about Jesus. So this encounter of of the shepherds going to meet Jesus. Uh, The next point is this, Jesus made himself nothing. And I'm quoting scripture here, and I'll explain that in a second to this phrase. But the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, comes into our time. He enters into humanity as a little babe, and the the situation is such that these people, Mary and Joseph, are so poor that they had nowhere to put them, put baby Jesus, so they put him in a manger. Like, you know what that is? Like it's, it's like, oh, it's the place we put Jesus at Christmas. No, that was a feeding trough that shouldn't have been used for children and yet it was because of the situation. They were so uh, helpless, poor, their, their situation, they were traveling. We don't know all the details. We know some to paint this picture of poverty that they had to put Jesus in a manger. Jesus humbles himself to enter our world and to enter the world as a very poor individual, so much so that he was put in a manger. Think about the creation of the world, like how big God is. We can never wrap our mind around that. I can't even wrap my mind around the bigness of creation. Have you ever thought about, you know, you look at science books and you see all the planets lined out on a single page and all the stars, uh, how far they are from the sun. Then it says not to scale at the bottom of the page and you're like, no kidding, it's not to scale. (laughs) No kidding, what an understatement. I think about like a penny. I have a penny here. Uh, I'll give this to Taylor. Taylor, here's a penny. This represents our sun. So I'll hold it up so everybody can see a penny. You know what a penny looks like. And the, the next closest star, think about like the, ne- I mean, look up, I was looking at the stars with my boys uh, this week up on our back deck, just looking at the stars and one of them was pointing out that somehow they, they know Orion's belt and the North Star and the W uh, crown thing for the queen. And they were just pointing out different things. And it's like, how many stars do you think there are? They're like, wow, Dad, look at them all. That's, there's the, wow, just look at the sky. The next closest star is like a little peppercorn compared to a penny that Taylor has. And if I was to take the peppercorn, you would think like, wow, this would be really far if I like went over here and you're like, wow, look how far that is. But you'd be horribly wrong, um, horribly wrong. And, so, and, and just think about like, what if I took that peppercorn and went like to, not to the first roundabout in Manitou, but to the second roundabout in Manitou, and you're like, wow, think about the bigness of the universe, you would also be horribly wrong for the scales and the sizes of our universe. You'd actually have to take that little peppercorn and get in your car, start driving, say, northwest, and drive all the way across Colorado till you get into the next state, Utah, drive across that little corner, get into Wyoming, drive across that corner of Wyoming, and right around the time you get to Idaho would be where that, the closest, the next closest star is is God, the creator of our universe, 
enters time, he is born of a virgin and then placed into a manger. Think about this statement that Jesus made himself nothing. And think about that he was put into a manger. If any of you have ever had the privilege of going to the hospital and visiting a new mom who has just had their first baby, you go into the room and you like douse yourself with hand sanitizer and you go into the room and the mom's like, hey, put on hand sanitizer. And you like do hand sanitizer again. Even if you're, you're not even allowed to touch the baby, just to be in the room, you have to like sanitize yourself because moms, firstborn, you know, children, they're worried. And think about this story. Like Jesus was not born in a hospital. Jesus was born, we, we assume, there's, there's, it doesn't say the building Jesus was born in. Most people assume it was a stable because there was a manger there. Other people say it might have been actually a cave that Jesus was born in. He definitely wasn't born where a house because it says there was no room in the house and the inn. And so he was born and placed in a manger. Think about the difference between how babies are born today and then Jesus made himself nothing. Placed into a manger and you just gotta wonder like, guys, Mary, Joseph, what were you thinking? Like, this is not right. This is a feeding trough of an animal. Think about the diseases. Think about the grossness. Think about the leftover food bits of animals that was left on this manger. And, and you wonder, like, wasn't there something else? They could have put baby Jesus. And here's the king of the world. Um, here's all these prophecies about this one that was to come. And here he is. Like, you'd think, like, Joseph, like, you could have made something. Does anybody remember Joseph's profession? Like, bro, you were a carpenter. Like, wasn't there some wood laying around and some tools and couldn't you have made something? And, and seemingly the answer was no. Like, whatever the situation was, it was one of dire poverty. They were traveling from one place to another. There was no place in the inn. They did not have the means. They were that poor. They, did, they were broke. And they placed this little baby in a manger. And I imagine it was just a, an image of embarrassment for them. They have no other place to put the baby. And then the shepherds show up. And the shepherds are only told a couple clues. They're told uh, that a Savior, the Christ, the Lord, has been born, and you're to go find him and see this wonderful thing the Lord has done. And they're given a couple clues. He's been born this day in the city of David, city of Bethlehem. He's been born this day, so that's one clue. Born in the city of Bethlehem, but Bethlehem's a big city. Maybe more than one baby was born. Uh, city of David, born today, wrapped in swaddling clothes is another clue they're given to find baby Jesus, but we assume that every baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And the final clue is you will find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Like, that's not usual. That's not the way it should be. And yet that becomes the clue when they find this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was born today. Wow, we probably have the right one. And can we go see him? And they look at him and guess where he is? He's in the manger. He's in a place where babies shouldn't be because it's gross and it's dirty. Jesus made himself nothing for us. Think about the signs of Jesus coming and the signs uh, people, commentaries have said, look at the parallels here between Jesus, where he was born. Uh, traditionally, it is uh, just assumed, because it's not written directly in the Bible, that he was born maybe in a cave, because that's where animals were kept back then. That's a stable-ish kind of environment. So think about Jesus being born in a cave. Where does Jesus go after his death on the cross? To a cave, to a tomb. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes as a little infant, uh, a parallel that he's going to be wrapped 
in a, like the winding sheet of his death. And think about this, that the, the shepherds, the ones, uh, one commentary I've been studying this week said that these shepherds in, in Bethlehem would have been the ones to take care of the sheep, the lambs that would be the sacrifice for the temples because Bethlehem was so close to Jerusalem. All these parallels from Jesus' birth to his death. Jesus makes himself nothing for us. I'm referring, of course, to a very popular scripture in Philippians 2, starting in verse 7, where it says this about Jesus. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Think about that, this image of the good news of what Jesus did for us, the babe being born, paralleling how and when he's going to die, that we might have life because he's the Savior. This last point this morning is this, and it says this, the, the angels come to these shepherds, these ones who were on the margins, and announce the most wonderful thing has happened because today uh, a Savior has been born. He's Christ the Lord. So this third and final point this morning is Jesus is Savior Christ and Lord. Third point is Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord. It says this, that the angels come to these shepherds and say, fear not. I mean, how could you not fear? It's, it's uh, a host, a heavenly host, an army of angels appearing. Of course, they're afraid. They've just been out sleeping under the stars with, with no homes, watching the sheep by night. Angels appear, they're afraid, and the angels say this, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people, that's us, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Three titles given to Jesus by these angels, Savior, Christ, and Lord. Savior, Christ, and Lord. We'll go backwards and talk about his being Lord Jesus is Lord, the master, the commander of the cosmos. The Greek phrase here, Christos, Kyrios, Lord, is being uh, maybe paralleled to this passage or passages in the Old Testament. I'm reading from a commentary here. Lord is used in ways identical to how the Old Testament referred to God as Yahweh. We need to remember that the Hebrew names for God, the Tetragon, Grammaton, that's the word Yahweh, and the more general Adonai were usually translated in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew text. Don't let me lose you. I see your eyes already glazing over. Uh, So these words, Adonai and Yahweh, uh, were used in the Greek translation. Kyrios is the Greek word that was often used translated when when the word was Yahweh. So it's very likely here that the, the word Lord is being referred to as Yahweh, like when Paul says Jesus is one Lord, when Paul says uh, at the name Jesus, everyone will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. What, what do we assume here? Well, it, it's, it's not just a master, it's not just a boss, but we would say, well, it's, it's transcribed in the Septuagint, the Greek, as Lord, because it's the parallel of Yahweh. So here, clearly, Jesus is being shown as divine, and it's in other passages as well, not just this one. Don't let anyone ever tell you, oh, the Bible never says Jesus is God. Well, here is one of those examples. It's saying Jesus is Lord, and it's not just saying he's Lord. It's also Christ and Savior. So he's Lord, he's Christ, he's Savior, all these names given to him by these angels announcing his arrival. Let's look at this word Christ. 
Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word. Anybody know? Starts with an M. Ends with Messiah. <laughs> Messiah. So this, the, the same word, the Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, it means literally anointed one. And throughout the Old Testament, if you look through the Old Testament, I have a Bible at home where I chose the color green. And I was really fascinated by this in high school and in college and in seminary when I was just very interested in the prophecies referring to Jesus. And I would underline them. I picked the color green. And if you look at my Bible, I'll bring it next week if you want to see it. All the examples, this is before the internet, I would like go to the library for goodness sakes and find books of the prophecies of Jesus and find these passages in the Old Testament and underline them in green. Like, look at this. It says that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Whoa, that's crazy. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Isn't that awesome? How cool? Underline in green. Look at this passage. It says Jesus will be called uh, the anointed one, the prophet. Look at this. Isn't this cool? Jesus was called these things. Isn't this cool? Jesus would be uh, like the born in the city of David. It says this, that the, that the virgin would be with child and give birth. Wow, the virgin. Isn't that crazy? It, Jesus was born of a virgin. Isn't that nuts? And I would underline that passage in Greek. And green, the Messiah is the one who is to come, the anointed one who would ultimately bring the kingdom of God on earth. Guess what Jesus does? He does that. He is the Messiah. And finally, he is the Savior, Christ the Lord. He is Savior. And this is the point where I'll kind of land this sermon here this morning, that the Savior, the role of Savior, this is the good news of Christmas. This is the reason for the season that Jesus is Savior. Some of you are probably familiar with uh, Spurgeon. Do you know C.H. Spurgeon? You've probably heard the name before. Um, an English preacher in the 1800s who would speak to 10,000 people before the use of microphones. Like, we're like maybe 100, not even in here, and I need microphones and speakers and all this stuff. It's Charles Spurgeon, an incredible speaker, uh, wonderful storyteller, wonderful uh, sermon, uh, uh, an orator. He tells this story about Jesus being the Savior. He says, uh, there was once a little town, and in the little town was a pastor. And the pastor and the church found out that one of the people in their congregation was in huge need. This lady, this widow, she couldn't make her bills. She couldn't even afford food. She was down and out. She's in a really rough time. And the congregation goes and, and gets a little bit of money for her and gives it to the pastor. And the pastor goes on a home visit. He goes to this woman's house and do, 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 knocks on the door. No answer. And so he knocks a little harder. Do, 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 do. No answer. He assumes she's home. What's going on? Knocks one last time, a third time. Knocks. No answer. So he goes home. On Sunday, he sees this woman and says, hey, I came to your house and I had a gift for you. She said, oh, was it on Thursday? And he said, yes, it was. What time is it? It was about noon. He's like, oh, I heard you knocking, this woman says, but I thought you were the mean rent collector. I didn't know it was you that had a gift. And I wonder how many people see Jesus, see God as this mean rent collector. And that is just not the case. Think about the good news of the gospel. Think about why Christmas is such a bright and wonderful and it should be a glorious time where we consider the good news that Jesus did not come to collect the rent as a mean rent collector, but Jesus came as a savior bearing a gift. 
Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to consider these words. If you're in the band, you can come forward. If you're serving communion, you can come forward and start to get the elements ready. But I want to read for us what it is that the angels say in this passage of Luke 2, considering that Jesus comes as a gift, as a Savior with a gift for the whole world. Would you bow your head and consider these words? Verse 10 says, The angels say, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord.